as I look out this morning, uh, it's much different view than it was a year ago at this time. Um, it's beautiful to see your faces. And uh, we're thankful for each and every one of you that the Lord has brought, that you're here with us this morning. We know that there are some that are still not with us, and we're praying for you. We're thankful for you as well, as we, the church at Northwest Baptist, who gathers at 23rd Street, gather together for the purpose of worship and the proclamation of God's word together every Sunday. What a joy and privilege it is to be called the church, the people of God. And what a joy and privilege it is to gather together and worship. We certainly don't want to take that for granted and haven't taken that for granted in recent days. We certainly don't want to take that for granted in the future as well. Back in the middle of the pandemic um, in, in last summer, we started a series called The Power of God. And we were studying the book of Acts and I, I began to see something in this book. The more that I read it, the more that I studied it, I, I had never seen before, I read and studied this book. We actually went through the book in our training to go in the IMB. I'd studied this book. I'd preached through this book multiple times. And yet I had never seen and understood the Holy Spirit is just everywhere throughout this book. Every single narrative, it seems as if it mentions or it brings to light the work of God through the Holy Spirit. And as I was reading the beginning of the book, Acts chapter 1, 8 just shows the, the how God is just working in the power of the Holy Spirit through his church, throughout the narrative of the book of Acts. Acts 1.8 says this, but you talking to his disciples will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And that is the story of Acts. The Holy Spirit in power amongst his people and taking this gospel and advancing the gospel to the ends of the earth. What an exciting story. What an exciting narrative. What can we do when we read this other than rejoice that our God wants his name proclaimed to the nations? It's the power of God and through his Holy Spirit would be that which drives the gospel to the ends of the earth, the spirit of the living God, the catalyst for the movement of God to grow and multiply the church. Every story proclaims it. We've seen it in our preaching in the summer and in last fall. We saw it in chapter one in the promise of the Holy Spirit Jesus telling his disciples to wait upon the power of God and the Spirit. Chapter two, the filling of the Spirit, the manifestation of the Spirit coming in tongues of fire and dwelling among his people. And then Peter gets up and he preaches in Spirit-filled preaching of the gospel at Pentecost in which thousands are saved. Then we see at the end of chapter two, the spirit-filled church filled with worship and giving and signs and wonders and prayer and hearing of the apostles' teaching of the word. Then we see the power that comes from Christ and the healing of a lame beggar at the gate called Beautiful, chapter three now. Then we see the spirit-filled boldness of Peter and John in front of the religious leaders who tell them to be silent and they say, we can't, we can't be silent. 
We must tell the story of God and what he has done. Spirit-led prayer as the ground begins to shake, as the church filled with the Spirit begins to pray for boldness. Spirit-led generosity in which they gave for the kingdom of God, abundantly giving. Then we see this lying to the Spirit, lying to the Holy Spirit in Ananias and Sapphira as they lie about their giving for personal gain. Then the church begins to be persecuted in which they stand in the midst of persecution by the power of the, of the Spirit. Then the, in the church, Spirit-filled servants are, are, are chosen as a precursor to deacons to serve the body of Christ as needs arise. And then we see Stephen's words as you have resisted the Holy Spirit as they stoned Stephen for proclaiming the gospel to the religious leaders. And then we see the sending spirit, chapter eight, I believe, chapter eight. The sending spirit, as the spirit sends Philip to the Ethiopian eunuch in the, in the chariot, and last time we were in the book of Acts, we saw the spirit-filled transformation of a life. His name was Saul, a man who was chosen by God to take the gospel to the Gentiles. He hated the church, and yet when he was confronted with the truth of the gospel, his life changed. He was filled with the Spirit and he began proclaiming the gospel of Christ immediately. Verse 20 of chapter 9 tells us about this man called Saul and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying he is the son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priest? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. And this is where we pick up this morning in the story of Acts, the power of God through his Holy Spirit. I gave you a summary so that you could catch up and remind yourselves where we are in the book. The church, having gone through a time of persecution under Saul and all the religious leaders, now goes into a short time of peace as the people of God Walk in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Let's read together Acts chapter nine. If you'll, if you'll stand with me in the reading of God's word, we're gonna start at verse 28. We're gonna read through verse 35 of Acts chapter nine. Talking about Paul in Acts chapter nine, verse 28, it says, so he went in and among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord, and he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. Listen to this. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Now as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose and all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. You may be seated. 
Amen. Let's pray. Father, as we open up your word this morning, as we share the scriptures together, we are encouraged that you do not leave us alone, that you have not left us in this world to wallow by our lonesome, but you have given us the Holy Spirit, God himself, which dwells in your people, in your church, that guides us, that counsels us, that comforts us. We pray, Father, for those today that feel alone, that they may remind themselves of the God who will not leave us nor forsake us, and that we are reminded that we are loved, and that you offer grace, and that you are merciful that you are a good God. Lord, help us to remember that every step of our life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. When I, when I do a uh, graveside service, one of the, at, after uh, the funeral, normally there's a graveside service, and when I do a graveside service, I often quote this poem and the reason I do is um, because oftentimes the family of, of, of those who have just lost their loved one has a lot of emotions and sometimes a lot of thoughts in their mind. And this poem helps me, at least, and I hope it does others, reminded that God never leaves us. Even in the worst of the worst circumstances in our life with our body and disease and suffering and the loss of life, he never leaves us and he helps us to endure this earth and this world for it is not our home the, foot, the, the poem is called Footprints, and it says this, one night I dreamed I was walking along the beach with the Lord. Many scenes from my life flashed across the sky, In each scene, I noticed footprints in the sand. Sometimes there were two sets of footprints, other times there was one set of footprints. This bothered me because I noticed that during the low periods of my life, when I was suffering from anguish, sorrow, or defeat, I could only see one set of footprints. So I said to the Lord, Lord, you promised me that if I followed you, you would walk with me always, but I've noticed that during the most trying periods of my life, there have only been one set of footprints in the sand. Why then, when I needed you most, have you not been there for me? And the Lord replied, the times when you have seen only one set of footprints is when I carried you. You see, the church here in Acts walked in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. The word here for comfort is parakalesis. It means to encourage, to comfort, to guide. You see, at the end of Jesus' ministry, Jesus has a conversation with his disciples who is guided, who is guarded, he has taught, he has comforted, he has walked with them through the last three years of ministry. And he says in John 16, 7, Jesus says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the paraclete, the helper, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. The Holy Spirit, the encourager, the counselor, the comforter, the advocate, he will be with you. Jesus says, it is to your advantage that I go away. 
Better is it for you to have the Holy Spirit than for me to walk with you in this life. Have you ever thought about that? It's better for the Holy Spirit to live inside of you than Jesus to be next to you? Let me ask you this question this morning. Do you feel alone? Do you feel discouraged? Do you need comfort? Jesus says that he will send the helper, the paraclete, the one who goes alongside you. Let's go back to the simple truths. The word of God tells us that Christ endured all this pain that this world could offer. All the humiliation, all the suffering, all the heartache, all the temptation. And he identifies with all of our weakness because he was fully God and fully man. And he doesn't leave us alone And say, go do it yourself. I'm glad that you came to follow me. Now go figure it out. No, when we are saved, God promises that he will be with us. He doesn't promise that life will be easy, but he promises to walk with us through it all because this is not our home. This is not our end destination. This is a short quick stop on our way to eternity. Jesus even says to his disciples in Matthew 28 in the Great Commission, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. How can that be? How can Jesus say that he's gonna be with his disciples? How can he say to that that he will be with us always? Well, Paul actually calls the Holy Spirit the Spirit of Christ in Romans chapter 8, and he says that Christ is in you. Romans 8, 9, let me read it for you. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ, you see what he did there? Spirit of God, Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of Christ. The triune God, the person of the triune God, the Holy Spirit, walks alongside of you. It's as if Christ is walking alongside of you and dwelling in you. You see, the Christian life is meant to be lived with the very thought that God is with us. Remember what God said to Joshua when Moses died, when the people of God were were going into the promised land, they were going to conquer the people that lived there, and God says to Joshua in Joshua 1, chapter five, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. I look at that passage and I see God speaking to Joshua and he says, I will be with you. And when we hear of the Holy Spirit, God is saying, I will be in you. And as I look at this passage of scripture in Acts chapter nine, this line in chapter 31 is stunning. I could read this every single morning and be encouraged. 
Look at what it says. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, speaking of the church, it multiplied. The church multiplied. Walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Let me ask you this question. Do you live as if God reigns and that he walks with you? See, Paul comes out of the womb as he's born again, preaching the gospel. He's filled with the Spirit and begins preaching in the same city that he went to persecute the church. But when people are confronted with the gospel, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, guess what? It will bring about persecution. Let's read in verse 22 what happens here. Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Paul came to persecute the church. Now he's proclaiming Christ. Verse 23, when many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul. They're watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. This is just a plot of a good movie, right? He's, he's, he's changes to where persecuting the church. Now he's proclaiming Christ. Now they're going to kill him and he's, he's being lowered in a basket outside of a wall at night. All right. Verse 26, and when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples And they were afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a a disciple. But Barnabas, who we we see is the son of encouragement, took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of Jesus. Of the Lord, and he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarshish. This is our first point this morning, summarizes this section of scripture. Boldness in the gospel brings persecution. Boldness in the gospel brings persecution. Whom do you fear, right? Do you fear God? Or do you fear man? For Christians, the thought is, what can man do to me? That is really our thought. Can he strip me of my identity? No, because my identity is in Christ. Can, can man take away my joy? No, because my, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Can he take away my treasures? My treasure is found in the kingdom of God, just like the parable we, we heard about last week. The man found a treasure. He went and sold all he had. And in his joy, he went and he got the treasure that he had found. This is what the kingdom of God is like for believers. Can he take away my job? No, because Christ is my life. He is my provider. And can man take my life? Paul says to live is Christ. To die is gain. Boldness in the gospel brings persecution. Do you fear God or do you fear man? 2 Timothy 3.12 tells us a little bit more about persecution. It says this, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It doesn't say some. It says all. Question for you, Northwest Baptist, Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, are you persecuted because of your love for God? 
And the Beatitudes, one who is blessed, one who has possession and rewards in the kingdom of heaven is one who is persecuted. Matthew 5.10 says this, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Prophets were persecuted. Jesus was hung on a cross. The disciples were martyrs. 11 of them died for their faith. Why do we think that we will not be persecuted for the gospel's sake? Maybe we aren't bold enough in your persecution. You see, the answer is if we are if we are walking in the Spirit, he gives boldness to us. Boldness in the gospel is, is in a natural thing. It is something that only can be given by the power of God through the Spirit. One of the reasons for the persecution of God's people is so that the power of Christ may rest upon his people. 2 Corinthians 12, 7 says this. Paul says, my grace is sufficient for you. Jesus speaking. He says, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly, Paul speaking now, of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me for the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecution, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So I guess the question that we ask ourselves is if all of those who desire to live a godly life are persecuted and persecution actually brings about the power of Christ upon us, then why does persecution actually not happen more often? You see, the gospel is offensive. You are dead in your transgressions and sins. That is offensive. You are enemies of God. That is offensive. The wrath of God is coming for you because of your rebellion in your sin against God. That is offensive. So repent and humble yourself to place your faith upon Jesus Christ. That is offensive. And most of the time when you share that with someone, their social construct is turned upside down when their life is built around their community, their faith, their religion, themselves, their idolatry, their own way. That is offensive. 1 Corinthians 1.18 puts it this way, for the word of the cross is folly or foolishness to those that are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Now, I'm not going to turn all, I'm not going to go all turn and burn on you, okay? So if you're thinking, wow, this guy is really intense. If you talk about the judgment without the grace of God, it's not the gospel, okay? God's provision for salvation is Jesus Christ, God's gracious love poured out through the cross of Christ that you could be called a child of God is beautiful, magnificent, wonderful. That Jesus would take our place on the cross. That he would bring about salvation for us. But, but have you ever wondered what is God actually saving us from? He's saving us from himself. The very wrath of God poured out upon sinners. 
If you were here last week and Wednesday night, we're going through Revelation in chapter nine. Some crazy things are happening in Revelation chapter nine. But the judgment and the wrath of God is being poured out upon the earth dwellers. Those who have not dipped their robe in the lamb's blood. Those who have not been covered by the blood of the lamb and God is pouring out his judgment and his wrath. And so in salvation, we are receiving salvation from the wrath of God for sinners because of Christ. So yes, the gospel to an unbeliever, unless the Lord opens their eyes and the spirit of God convicts their heart, it is offensive. And yet we're still called to have boldness. You see, the Hellenists here in in verse 29 are the same guys in Acts chapter 6 that begin disputing with Stephen when he is stoned to death. So the same people that that Saul leads in Acts chapter 6 in the stoning of Stephen are the same people that Paul, Saul goes boldly to to declare Christ. Do you think Saul forgot that Stephen was stoned because of Stephen's proclamation of the gospel? No. I've got to get to point two, but Saul was not eloquent all the time. Paul was not, he changes his name to Paul. I keep reversing Saul and Paul. So if you don't know, he changes his name to Paul because of his transformation in the gospel. But when he writes to the Corinthians, he he tells them that I came to you in weakness and fear and much trembling when I was sharing the gospel to you. He asked both the Ephesian church and the Colossian church to pray that he would declare the gospel fearlessly. So even the greatest evangelist and missionary we have ever seen on the face of the earth is asking the Lord for boldness. So don't get too down on yourself if you don't have boldness in the gospel. But we need to humbly ask our God for boldness as a church, as a people. Acts 4.29, I keep hearing though in our church, I want to encourage you right now, I keep hearing of people sharing their faith with Christ. We got neighbors coming to Christ. We got people sharing their faith at lunch people. I keep hearing of people being bold and sharing their faith. It's hard. And yet God is giving you, through his spirit, the power to do it. Acts 4.29, and now look upon their threats. This is the prayer of the church in Acts chapter 4. And grant to your servants to continue to speak your words with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. The church asked God for it. Let's ask God for it. Do you think that the spirit who walks alongside us, the the comforter, will not give us boldness of Paul? I think he will. Verse 31, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. This is point number two. Multiplication happens because the church walks with the Holy Spirit. Multiplication happens because the church walks with the Holy Spirit. You see, what does the Holy Spirit desire to do? It desire to proclaim Christ. It's what the Holy Spirit wants to do. And thus being filled with the Holy Spirit will bring boldness in proclamation of Jesus Christ, who he is and what he's done in the good news message of the gospel. But the Holy Spirit will never leave you. You are sealed 
the time of your conversion. And even when there is opposition, he will not leave you. And now, right now, because of, of, of Saul moving from enemy number one to on the good side, the church has a time of peace. And it's being built up. How is it being built up? Ephesians 2.22 tells us, in him, talking about Christ, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. How is it being built up? By the Spirit, in Christ, by the Spirit. So it's being built up and they have peace, they have, they have time of opposition, but, but now, but now they have the Holy Spirit is being built up in this line that just keeps coming back to me and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. That word walking there can be used advancing, moving forward, going, walking, advancing in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, growing. Church, we gotta grow. People of God, we have got to grow two areas, myself included. Fear of the Lord, comfort of the Spirit. What does the fear of the Lord look like? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28 tells us, therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. What does it mean to fear the Lord means to revere him, to see him as he is with reverence and awe, to worship him as he truly is. Until we understand who God is and develop a reverential fear of him, we cannot have wisdom. That's the application of knowledge. That means we cannot live our life in the, in the understanding of who God is until we actually revere him for who he is. Are, are, are believers scared of God? No, we, we, we really have nothing to fear. We are children of God. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. And yet, we fear God. Why? Because we desire to obey God. To fear God is a desire to obey him. It's interesting here that Paul uses the terminology fear and comfort in the same sentence. Fear God, comforted by the Holy Spirit. Walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, this is the Christian life. It's two sides of the rope, pulling it tight to make it right. One side sees God as he is, fear, awe, and reverence for him, desiring to obey God. The other side finds comfort and encouragement in the spirit of the living God. Don't allow one side to get loose, but holding both ends of the rope very tightly. Walking in the grace that God has given through his spirit, but also understanding the fear of the Lord and his obedience to him. You see, God is the God of all comfort. Second Corinthians 1, 3 tells us, blessed be 
the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort that we have ourselves received and are comforted by God. So God doesn't just comfort us through the Holy Spirit for our sake, but actually so that we can share that same comfort and peace that God has given us to others. The grace of God in our life is shared by others. That's bold proclamation of the gospel. That's what Paul is doing here when he is saved by the grace of God. He wants to share the grace of God to others. Has he not given us the freedom from guilt? Has he not given us reconciliation with God and therefore now we have the ministry of reconciliation? 2 Corinthians 5, 18, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation, the message of the gospel in which is entrusted to us because of the comfort that God gives through his spirit in Christ. So when the church obeys God, walks in fear and reverence of God and understands the encouragement and freedom in Christ, then guess what? Then it shares the gospel with others and the church multiplies. So multiplication, how does it happen? Does it happen because of creative system that we produce and make people feel good when they come to church? No, it happens because people are walking in the power of the spirit of the living God in their life and all they can do is share the message of truth to others. You know what? I have spent a lot of my life trying to develop systems of multiplication within the body of Christ. This is what I do for a living. This is how I, this is what I've studied. This is what I do. And God is showing me in his text of scripture this morning, listen, Rob, walk in the power of the Holy Spirit and encourage others to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit and you'll see multiplication like you've never seen before in your life. There's a shift here. There's a shift in our hearts, in our minds, in our joy, in our being. We walk in the power and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 32. Now as Peter went here, there's a shift from Saul back to Peter. Now as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down to the saints who were lived at Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise, make your bed. And immediately he rose. All the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now there, there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works, acts of charity, in those days she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in the upper room. Since little was near Joppa, the disciples hearing that Peter was there sent two men to him urging, please come without delay. So Peter rose, went with them, and he arrived. They took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him weeping and showing tunics and other garments Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside, knelt down and prayed and turning the, to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise and she opened her eyes and when she saw Peter she sat up and he gave her his hand and raised her up then calling the saints and widows he presented her alive and it became known throughout all Joppa and many believed in the Lord and he stayed in Joppa for many days with Simon a tanner this is the last point, I promise. It says this, the Spirit's work testifies to the grace of God. The Spirit's work in the lives of people 
testifies to the grace of God. Each of these miracles here that Peter does, we see throughout Acts, bring about people who fear God because they understand the sovereign power of God and in this case over disease and over death. Through the same spirit that resurrected Christ from the dead. Yet, sometimes God chooses to advance the gospel through his people not overcoming disease, not overcoming death. Remember in Acts chapter 6, Stephen, who was stoned and left for dead. We'll see Paul here multiple times escaping, stoning, even being stoned and, and living the Lord chose Stephen and even James. Some of his people he chooses to heal, raise to life. Some he doesn't. And his sovereign plan, in either case, the Lord causes for people to glorify him and bring people to himself. So in the case of Stephen, the church multiplied. In the case of Tabitha, the church multiplied. And sometimes we, we hear these stories and we say, well, that doesn't really relate to me. I, I haven't been healed miraculously of a disease. I haven't seen anyone raised to life. But what has the spirit of the living God done in your life that you can share and testify to the grace of God? Because just as amazing as a person healed of a disease or someone raised to life is someone who has turned from their sin years and began to follow Jesus and repented a marriage restored after a spouse commits adultery. Someone has lived 20 years sober after living most of their life addicted to drugs or alcohol. A hardened, crusty old man becoming humbled by the grace of God to turn their life to Christ to be baptized. That, my friends, is worth celebrating. A young person giving their life for the gospel to go to the nations. All of these testify to the grace of God. These works and acts, what happens? They brought about people turning to the Lord. So when we hear of the grace of God in their life. We need to be reminded of the grace of God in our own life. Let us continue to share our story of Christ in me as we go throughout the city and the world. Because the Spirit of the living God lives inside of you. You are not alone. So we as Northwest Baptists will live as people who know that God reigns and that he is with us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you that the spirit of the living God you have given to live inside of us. Father, there are many of us in this room who have grown dormant to the spirit's working in their life, the manifestation of the grace of God in their life. They may have not even seen the grace of life work, of grace of God working in other people's lives. And we're asking you right now
to fill us with the Spirit. To relinquish our own desires, our idolatry. And to allow the Spirit of the living God to give us wisdom the application of the knowledge of the truth of Scripture, that we would live out what the Scripture says. Father, we are a weak people, and we need your power. We cannot do it. We need your strength. We ask you, Father, that you would be glorified by your people, that you would give them boldness to declare the mercy and the grace of God. And Father, as we know in this world, we will face persecution. It is very evident and clear in the world that we live that if we are boldly proclaiming the truth, that we will face opposition And we pray, Father, that you would give us the strength to endure as a church, as a people, as a community. Lord, we are thankful and grateful for each person that's here today. May they seek the Lord, seek his face. In Jesus' name we pray. The altar is open. You can begin to pray. If you'll stand, Kyle's going to lead us in a time of worship. If you'll stand and worship the King of kings and Lord of lords and respond to the word of God, revere him as holy because he is holy. There's pastors down at the front. The altar is open for prayer if you'd like to pray.